Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Hidden Stories of the Royal Parks podcast. I am Lady Layson, and I head our learning and engagement programs across the parks. Through our learning team, projects and partners, we help people of all ages discover the park's history, its nature, and timeless beauty. Joining me today is my colleague Bryony Cross, volunteering and programs manager for the parks. Bryony will take us on a long journey through the night to learn about the urban hedgehog, one of the weird and wonderful mammals in the Royal Parks, and the only breeding population found in central London. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a prickly business indeed. Welcome, Rayoni. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Laddie. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk about the subject today. The subject matter that you mentioned, it's something that's really close to my heart. And, and I know many, many people also feel, uh, you know, very attached to these wonderful animals. And um, we're talking actually about hedgehogs. And hedgehogs uh, is going to be actually the main subject of our episode today. I understand that, uh, you know, we do this uh, weird and wonderful activity in one of our parks um, for a number of years, and it's actually a hedgehog survey program. Could you give us a little bit of an overview of what all of this is about? Yeah, absolutely. So we do many weird and wonderful things in the Royal Parks, but I think this has to be one of the best. And it's a really exciting hedgehog research program. And it takes place in central London in Zone 1 in Regent's Park. And I have to say, it's definitely one of my favourite parts of my role. And it's been going for seven years, six years of, of research. And unfortunately, due to COVID this year, we haven't been able to survey yet. It's a really special population. And why it's a special population is because it is the only confirmed breeding population in central London. And due to its location, that means that this population is isolated and vulnerable. And the aim of our surveys is to understand a bit more about this population, understand whether they were breeding, understand you know, what we can do as guardians of that park to help this population. We have around 35 individuals and it's entirely possible that they were actually residents before the park was even formed in the 19th century. And that's because there are no known records of any introductions. But what's also really special about this survey is that it happens in the middle of the night. And that's because hedgehogs are nocturnal and that's when they're most active. So it takes place in May and September over two consecutive Friday nights that run into very early Saturday morning. It runs from around 8pm in the evening to 4 or 5am in the morning. And it's a really amazing citizen science project, which is supported by so many wonderful volunteers. I have uh, been involved and it's, it is a wonderful experience. Very, very different from any, anything I've actually ever, ever done in my life. And it has enriched me profoundly, actually. Um, but before we, we jump deep into this you know, hedgehog universe, hedgehog world, could you share a little bit uh, with our listeners what exactly is a hedgehog and how can people identify them if they see them you know, around during the night? Okay, so hedgehogs are spiny mammals and we actually have 17 species of them worldwide. But in the UK, we're very lucky and we've just got one native species and that's the European hedgehog. And as I just mentioned, they're nocturnal. So actually, you're more likely to see them at nighttime and in the evening, which is why a lot of people, I guess, don't see them. They are naturally carnivores. And what they eat mainly are ground-dwelling invertebrates. And if you listen to the last podcast, you'll know what an invertebrate is. 
but they're animals without a backbone and hedgehogs favour things like beetles, snails, slugs, caterpillars. We have also known them to eat carrion. So on several surveys, we found um, the hedgehogs tucking into a juicy toad. And actually, they've got quite poor eyesight um, because they roam around in the night. So they rely heavily on their other heightened senses, such as their smell and their hearing to kind of find out their prey. And how you can kind of notice them and um, identify them is they're about 20 to 30 centimetres long usually. And their defining feature are their spines and they're covered on their back and their flanks, their sides, by up to around 7,000 spines. And then their face and their underside is a, is a brown grey fur. What's interesting is the spines are made of a keratin and that's like our own hair and nails and they shed them over time. But those spines are also so important as a protection and as an armour against predators. So if they feel like they're in danger, then they curl up into a little ball, which is really characteristic. And those spines protect their softer parts. But I have to say one of my favourite things about hedgehogs are their babies and what we call them. They breed between April and September. And actually the courtship that goes into that is quite interesting. A lot of snorting and grunting and snuffling from the male trying to impress the female and um, circling her but the best thing is that they produce what are called hoglets which I just think is so cute and they usually produce around four to five hoglets in a litter and where we can find them is really wide-ranging as well so they're found in rural and urban areas and they're only really absent in kind of higher lands um habitats such as marsh and moorland and they're found across western europe britain ireland but not some of the scottish isles and they really enjoy a mosaic so a, you know multiple habitats close together and that's really where they flourish i've seen other hedgehogs as well uh you know on television and actually when i used to live in my own country in chile people some ha have actually pygmy hedgehogs i think they were very small you know very, very like white uh, type of hedgehogs. Are they also uh, found in Europe and in the UK or, or somewhere else? So these African um, pygmy hedgehogs are becoming quite a trend as a pet, but they're not native to the UK. And they're also naturally wild uh, from where they originally um, come from. It's very interesting because I think there's loads of memes and videos that come from those hedgehogs, but it's it's quite unnatural behaviour that we we kind of see them in that way. They're really difficult to care for properly as a pet, which means sometimes there's a high risk of abandonment. And it's quite different um, looking to our native hedgehog. As you mentioned, they're a lot lighter and quite a lot smaller. And so they're certainly not the same as our native hedgehogs that we have here. And I think what's important is if we want to help hedgehogs, what we need to do is be thinking about how we can look after our native hedgehogs in the wild. They are facing loads of threats in both urban and rural habitats and urban areas especially are becoming more important. And that's why our research on the Regent's Park population is really important. This started in 2014 and that kind of started our journey into understanding more about our population and helping others understand hedgehogs across the country. Could you tell us a little bit about how it actually all started then? Who sparked this idea of you know, doing hedgehog surveys in, in the Regent's Park? So we actually work with um, two scientists and experts to help us run these surveys. And one of them, Nigel Reeve, 
is a specialist on hedgehogs. He's done loads of research. He's written books. He really knows everything. But actually, formerly, he was a head of ecology at the Royal Parks. And therefore, he knew that there were hedgehogs in Regent's Park. There had been sightings by the public and the grounds maintenance team. But we didn't really have any information about the hedgehogs. We didn't know at the time whether they were breeding, whether they were a viable population. And Nigel really wanted to learn more. And in partnership with another of our former colleagues, Claire Bowen, they put together this idea of this really big citizen science survey. And they put together this fantastic project, which we now have the results of and is still ongoing now. But all of that was also made possible by a donation from a local neighbour who helped us buy all of the equipment and support the volunteers and really get the project off the ground. So it was really made possible by that generosity and by a few driven individuals who really wanted to learn more. And now Nigel Reeve and John Gunnell, who are our lead scientists, lead on on the kind of science and the research aspect of it. And we help support the volunteers and carry out the surveys. So it started from a small idea, but it's become something so, so big and fantastic. You can see that it has so many different aspects and, uh, uh, you know, approaches to it as well. If, uh, let's say, we're, we have to actually do a survey tomorrow, you know, what would you need to do to survey the park? So to survey the park, we have divided it into zones. So there are eight zones and we would need the maps of those zones. So it's to help us understand where the hedgehogs nest, where they eat, where they travel to over the course of an evening. And we also need some super important equipment. So one of the things that we use is an infrared camera, which is pretty much everyone's favorite piece of equipment because it's quite cool to use. And that helps you search for hedgehogs in the more open areas, so short grass. And it can really pick the hedgehogs up from 60 to 70 meters away minimum. And you just kind of see this red little moving ball. And then we also use LED torches, which are really high powered torches. They're very useful for searching out um, through kind of denser vegetation, shrubbery and long grass. So yeah, that's what we need. But also we need the volunteers. They're very important. They're very crucial. And we need their eyes and their ears. We have some superhuman volunteers who can hear a hedgehog before we even see them on the infrared cameras or torches. So let's imagine that, you know, I am there with you and, and a bunch of hedgehog volunteers as well, uh, you know, in the middle of Regent's Park at night. What happens actually? So it's a really exciting night for everyone, for volunteers, for staff. But even before we can get to that night, there is so much preparation that happens beforehand in the the months and weeks beforehand, recruiting the volunteers and making sure everything's in place. But also on the day as well, the team will get there early, make sure that all of the equipment is set up and make sure that, you know, batteries are charged, food is out, the tea urn is on, biscuits are there, all of the important things. But then when the volunteers arrive, that's when there really does start to be a buzz because volunteers have been coming to us for the whole time. They've started in 2014 and come for the whole time. So whether you're a new volunteer or an old volunteer, there's a little bit of time to catch up with people that you might not have seen since the last survey. What I can say is it's just such a community of people who are all just really excited to go out and do the survey. So it's just a really nice atmosphere. But after we've given everybody a bit of time to catch up, we do an intro to everyone and an overview of last year's results and what to expect and a kind of a a quick reminder of what they're going out there to do. 
We then divide them into the teams that will go into each of the eight zones. And there's usually up to about six people. In that team, there is a supervisor who will lead that group. And we make sure that, you know, everything is covered from health and safety to like swapping numbers because it's dark out there at night in case anybody kind of gets a bit distracted by something and walks off. It's important for them to have their team's number. But I would say the most important thing to do is we have to have a team photo before everyone goes off into the night. And Claire, always make sure that happens. It's very important. (laughs) The photo (laughs) opportunity. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. But as they go off into the park, we still have a core team of us at what we like to call Hedgehog HQ. And we're there to pick up the phone if any of the teams find a hedgehog and they'll tell us the data that they've recovered. But also if there's an injured hedgehog or if they need some new tags delivered to pop on a hedgehog, we'll be in Hedgehog HQ ready to run out to their location wherever they are in the park. And what data they do record while they're out there, there's quite a few things. So if you find a hedgehog, we need to weigh it. Can I ask you, how would you weigh it, a hedgehog? (laughs) Well, it's quite interesting. Must be quite difficult. (laughs) (laughs) So in their kit bag, they'll have a little tote bag. The hedgehog, as I've said before, when somebody approaches them and they curl up into a little ball. So it actually makes them a very easy parcel to just pop into this tote bag. And then you measure them um, kind of with a a hanging scale and then you just pop them back out onto the floor again. It's very minimally disturbing for them. We then also check their circumference and do a general health check, checking them for ticks and fleas, checking their limbs are fine. And if they're generally just in a healthy state, a healthy hedgehog is lovely and round. A less healthy hedgehog is a bit more elongated and thin. So it's quite easy to tell when they're healthy and happy. We also then check if they already have a tag. So we tag our hedgehogs to make sure that we can notice if there are any new hedgehogs that are appearing in the parks that we haven't found before or are new from the previous breeding season. Could you tell us how actually do you tag them specifically? Because is it hurtful for them? Is it like a big tag? No, absolutely not. It's really minimally disturbing to them. In fact, I'm pretty sure they don't notice it's there. So they're tiny little tubes that just slip over the spines and we just glue, put a little bit of glue on the inside and slide them over the spines. And it means that the spike is still sticking out of the top. So their spikes can still function as they should do. But it's just got a little number printed on them. And we use some tweezers to very gently pop them over. We put six on there because, as I said before, they shed their spines So it's important to have a number on there in the hope that when the next time we survey, there'll still be a couple of them left. For example, the last survey you did, did you find many hedgehogs with uh, tags on them already? Yes, yes. So they do tend to keep them quite well, actually. And it's been found to be a really good method of tagging hedgehogs, which disturbs them in the least possible way, but also stays intact. There were a few that had lost them. So we just topped them up to six again. And then, yeah, they were good to go. This is actually an incredible experience, you know, so unique. It just seems that, you know, volunteers uh, for this service are really, really crucial to make make the whole project, the whole experience uh, really, really happen and achieve actually the good results that you need. Absolutely. The volunteers are without doubt one of the most important aspects of this survey and we just simply couldn't do it without them. We have around 150, probably more, each survey season and 
you know, without those numbers, the search effort would just not be as good. We need all of those eyes and ears to be looking for the hedgehogs and to cover a really large area, which is Regent's Park. We also have our amazing supervisors who are volunteers as well, who've usually been with us from the beginning. So they go out and they lead a group of newer volunteers. Sometimes groups don't find hedgehogs, which can be hard and disappointing. But that work is still so valuable to us because it helps us understand why an area isn't having hedgehogs and it helps us be able to do more in that park and in that area to encourage hedgehogs back and to look after them. Do you need, you know, if you want to volunteer to to join the, you know, the hedgehog uh, team, do you need to have any experience or knowledge to become a hedgehog volunteer? Absolutely not. I think that is one of the best things about the survey is it, as I've said, it brings together so many different people from every walk of life, from every background. Everyone who comes has a different job or a, a different story, a different background. I think they're all just here because it's something really cool to do. You get the, the pleasure of knowing that you're helping hedgehogs and helping your park. And I think you just have to have a passion for kind of nature, a dedication to losing a few hours of sleep and not minding about that. And just being happy to go out there and have a good time. The one thing that we ask of volunteers when they're new is just to do one training session, which just gives them a grounding and an understanding of the hedgehogs, the situation, the research and the methodology. We do usually set a minimum age of 18 and just ask that you're happy with walking around in the middle of the night, basically. Really, it's for anyone and everyone who wants to do something a bit different. I can attest to that. It is a, an incredible, unique experience. And after seven years, uh, it's actually quite a long time, uh, you know, do, doing, uh, you know, this uh, wonderful survey every year, uh, twice a year. What do you think are the main learnings that this project actually has given us about Royal Parks? So I guess one of the important questions that we wanted to find out was initially was, are they a breeding population? And yes, we have found that they are definitely a breeding population. We found young animals every September. And what we found is that it is a small population and it does fluctuate. And we estimate on average between 30 and 40 individuals. And this has changed and gone up and down over the years. We also found that grassland is a really important foraging habitat for them here. And they like to use the scrubland and the planted shrubberies and hedgerow as important nesting sites. So again, confirming that, you know, mosaic of habitats is really important for them. They don't really tend to like the big sports pitches. So we never really find them in the middle of there because it's quite open space, leaves them a bit open to predators such as foxes, because we know we have quite a few of them in Regent's Park. What we've also learned is their hedgehog hotspots that we initially identified have moved over the past seven years. We're not sure entirely why that is, but it seems to have happened after there was a bit of a decline in the number in 2015 and 2016. And that really highlights the kind of vulnerable nature of this population, that there must have been a distinct change that caused quite a few hedgehogs to kind of die off. And our old hotspots of the south of the park and the west of the park seem to disappear. And those hotspots haven't kind of started up again. We kind of think and speculate that that might be to do with the internal barriers that we have within the park. So 
Regent's Park, if you know it, has, you know, a few roads running through it, fences, ponds, lakes. So there's some thought that maybe it's something to do with those barriers that they're not recolonizing those areas. However, what we're trying to learn from that is to try and change that, open up those barriers and make those habitats more suitable. Overall, what we've found is really a snapshot and we want to keep this survey going for at least 10 years to try and have a larger picture view of the trends over the years. But also it's brought us so much in terms of management and how we really look at these hedgehogs and how we manage this park for them. We know that they like to nest in areas of undergrowth and brambles. So we've looked at changing how we manage those, encouraging thicker and denser growth, looking at how we plant our shrubberies up to create layered levels for them so they can shelter and nest. We've also seen in the past couple of years that actually it's been really hot. I know we've all noticed these hot summers, which is wonderful in some aspects, but not so great for the hedgehogs. Summer is the time that they get their fat levels up, get their energy resources up, eat and eat and eat. So when they go into hibernation, they have enough energy to keep them going through. And so if they don't have water and food availability, it's going to be a really tough winter for them. So we've realised that we need to increase our water availability. So introduction of shallow ponds into, say, the flower beds, just so they've got a bit more of a resource because they're so isolated, they can't go and get that elsewhere. That's a really, really good um, suggestion, actually, and a way of uh, of your supporting hedgehogs during the the summer, actually, as you say, it's been really, really hot lately. And I imagine those, uh, you know, water um, resources are also used by other animals as well. Absolutely. You know, I think whenever you're helping one sort of wildlife, you're usually helping another. So, for instance, with the Mission Invertebrate Project, we've been putting in loads of management plans and projects to help boost invertebrate populations in Regent's Park. But that in turn will hopefully help the hedgehog population because it's their main food source. So everything is linked and it's really important to remember that, that to help hedgehogs, you also have to help the creepy crawlies as well. <laughs> yeah, and also other other you know species of animals as well. But I've actually read uh, very recently, uh, Rene, and it's something that actually quite concerns me a lot. Um, I just wanted to kind of like discuss it with you, that, you know, sadly, British hedgehogs are not an endangered species anymore. I mean, they were endangered before, but actually now it's much worse. They're now actually in the list of animals vulnerable to extinction, according to the Red List. Is this true? You know, and how does this happen? If the, I understand there's been a, quite a lot of campaigns lately, uh, you know, to support hedgehog habitats. Yeah, it is sadly true, actually. But I think for most of us, it's not a surprise. I think for most of us who've worked around hedgehogs, who've worked on these projects, it, it was something that we kind of knew was coming. There has been a marked decline in hedgehog populations over the last 25 years or so. Despite all of these campaigns, hedgehogs have a lot of challenges and a lot of risks that they face in rural areas. You know, we've seen an intensification of agriculture, less hedgerows, but also the increased use of pesticides and fertilisers. And that's been a real problem for them. But in the urban environments, it's how we live and how we've changed how we build our houses and gardens it's habitat loss and it's fragmentation. Our gardens tend to be impenetrable fortresses these days because we want to keep everyone else out. But unfortunately, that means that you're keeping the hedgehogs out and other wildlife out. 
So hedgehogs, you know, as we found in our survey as well, females can travel one and a half kilometers, two kilometers a night. Males can travel even further than that in search of a female companion. So when you think about that, your garden isn't a big enough space for them to roam at all. So that's a really big issue for hedgehogs. Also roads. And again, people putting things like pesticides down in their garden, um, harmful slug pellets. So the hedgehog eats the slug and it's it's got a harmful pellet inside it. It's going to impact the hedgehog. So yeah, there's plenty of things that we can actually do in our gardens to kind of help our hedgehogs on our doorstep. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. And uh, well, actually, thankfully, they are, I understand, the most or one of the most loved actually mammals in the UK. Do you think, Bernie, that this can make a difference, actually, this connection, you know, with, with hedgehogs uh, in stopping this trend? And what can people do to help? I really hope so, because they are a wonderful creature. And like you said, they are the most loved mammal in the UK. And yes, there are loads of things that we can do. So even on bonfire night, we all like to set bonfires. It's just checking before you set that bonfire that you haven't got a hedgehog under there because they like to nest under log piles and piles of debris. As we mentioned earlier, leaving a bowl in your garden, a really shallow bowl in your garden for the summer months is really useful because actually a lot of the hedgehog casualties that go into wildlife centres and rescue centres are there because of dehydration. So they've lost their access to kind of places to drink water and get that hydration. Another thing that you can do is if you have a pond in your garden, make sure that it has a ramp or a way for them to get out. Because actually, hedgehogs are very good swimmers. They're just not very good at getting back out again. So if you have a pond, something that you can help is if they want to go have a drink, they can go in, have a swim and walk up a ramp back out again. As we've said before, you know, if you improve a space for all wildlife, it will help all wildlife. So allowing some bits to go a bit longer, having those shrubberies, having a log pile to encourage invertebrates, but also a potential nesting place. The good way to give hedgehogs more space is to create a little hedgehog hole in your fence. And that's one thing that if you have neighbours, you could also encourage them to do. And it just needs to be a really small hole at the bottom of your fence or under your gate. And it just allows that freedom of movement and for that hedgehog to roam a bit further. If you do see a hedgehog in your garden, which is wonderful, you should try to not interact with it. So does it mean that, for example, uh, if, if I want to touch them, can I do that, for example? I would say unless that hedgehog looks really ill. So look for signs of them being ill. One thing to look for is if you're seeing this hedgehog in the middle of the day, that's not always a very good sign because they're nocturnal, as we've discussed. So if you're seeing it in the middle of the day and it may, you can look at it and kind of have a quick look over. If it's not curling up into a ball and it's not reacting to your presence, then that's also not a very good sign. And if it looks thin and it's got loads of fleas and ticks, then that's when you might want to interact and kind of call a wildlife or local rescue centre to come and have a look at it. If it's not very well, it probably won't move very far. On the other hand, if it's the middle of the night and it's snuffling around your garden, it's best to just leave it alone and leave it to its own devices. I should say that when we're doing the surveys, we do go and pick the hedgehogs up, but we have a licence, an ecological licence to do so because it's part of this research project. So it's for ecological research. 
So we wouldn't usually just go and pick them up, but it's all done in a really considered way and we have a license to be able to do so. Great. Thank you for explaining that, actually. Um, it is uh, very, very useful to know um, because some people may say, oh, they're so cute. I'm going to go and touch them. I'm going to go and play yeah. with them, etc." But they are wild animals, aren't they? That's exactly. for sure. Um, but I'm sure people uh, can maybe take a photo for, <laughs> or, or a selfie, let's say. <laughs> and one thing I have to mention, sorry, is because if you don't have a garden, you can also, you know, help. And I think the, the biggest thing that you can do is spread the word about hedgehogs and about how other people can help and be a hedgehog champion. And if you want more information, the PTES, who are the People's Trust for Endangered Species, and the British Hedgehog Preservation Society are really fantastic organisations who do a lot of hedgehog work too. And the Royal Parks website, of course. So if you want any more information on how you can help, then please do visit those websites. Thank you, Bryony. Um, we're also going to um, include a link on our podcast page. So have a look there. You'll be able to click through and uh, check our volunteer program for, for the Hedgehog Survey. And uh, can our actually listeners, uh, you know, volunteer with the, with the service if they want to? And how can they do that? Absolutely. So anyone can get involved. And typically in August, we'd be gearing up right now to start our September surveys. Unfortunately, due to the pandemic, we are not able to survey this year. So we've had to take a small pause. But you can still get involved. You can email us to our volunteer email or you can sign up to our newsletter to be sure to be told of when we're signing up new volunteers. A labour of love and uh, very long nights, I can tell. Brownie, do you have any memories that you'd like to, to share? Uh, you know, every night that you go out on a hedgehog survey is different and unique and sure to throw up something hilarious or interesting. You can never get bored seeing a hedgehog, whether it's your first time or your sixth time or your 20th time. But I will say that one of my favourite memories was actually when we were checking the nest boxes. We came to the box. We hadn't really found many in our zone that day. And I said, we best not find another hedgehog because I'm going to be late to work. Lo and behold, this is the box where we found not one hedgehog, not two hedgehogs, but also some hoglets as well. Oh, I know. It was so exciting. Obviously, we were very careful to as soon as we'd seen them to pop the lid back in and not disturb them because if a mum is disturbed, then it can cause her to leave the hoglets or even eat them. So we were very careful, pop the lid straight back on. But it was a really wonderful thing to see. And needless to say, I was totally late to work, but it's totally fine because hedgehogs are fantastic. Oh, oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful memory. Thank you for sharing it with us. Huge, huge thanks for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Best of luck with the next survey. Um, and I hope you have lots of hog volunteers, actually, to support you and your team throughout the night. Thank you very much, Lenny. It's been very good fun. Thanks for listening to this new episode of the Hidden Stories of the Royal Parks. You can give us a thumbs up on Facebook at The Royal Parks London and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Royal Parks, where you can share your comments and suggest new topics and ideas for the series. The Royal Parks is a charity that cares for the eight Royal Parks of London. If you would like to support us, please go to royalparks.org.uk forward slash support. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to bringing you another Hidden Stories of the Royal Parks soon. Our podcast series is a team effort from Laura McMahon, Kristen Muller, Lady Layson and Lucy Kellett. This episode was edited by Hannah Hethman and Julia Letts for Better Lemon Creative Audio.